Hi, church. As you are seeing this, Kelly, Cormac, and I are driving back home from Kansas City. We were up there for a wedding, and I was training one of my teams for my other job. So once again, I'm preaching to you via video, and we're working with technology. So hopefully everything will work correctly, but I make no promises. Uh, I'm going to try to preach a little quicker today because I'm limited in video size uh, and how long I can preach at once Uh, But don't count on that being a normal thing. Uh, But welcome if you're a guest here. Uh, We're glad you're here. We hope you stay around for our monthly guest lunch after service today. It'll be a time where you can really get to know more about our church and and the great people here. So I hope you stay around for that. But we've been in a message series for several weeks looking at the life of King David. So let's jump right in. We're now in 2 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel Now we're going to skip over a little bit. King Saul, who has been pursuing David and trying to kill him, he's actually died in battle, but we're going to look over that passage. So turn with me to 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 17. David took up this lament. And now a lament in Scripture is a sad song or a mourning song in the Bible concerning Saul and his son, Jonathan. So he has just heard that King Saul, the man who for years, about 10 years or more, had been trying to kill him, has died, as well as King David's best friend, Jonathan. And he writes this, verse 18, and he ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament, this sad song of the bow. And the bow here probably is a metaphor for war. So it's a, it's a song, a sad song, that's supposed to be sung after a battle where you know people who have died. So it was written in the book of Jasher. By the way, we don't know what the book of Jasher is. It's just uh, some Old Testament book or that was around in Old Testament times, and, and we don't know where it is now. But we are told, thankfully, it was in the book of Jasher as well. Aren't you glad you know that? So anyway, so King David, or he's not king yet. He's David. He's written this song of mourning, this death song where he laments the death of the very man who tried to save him. Now, if you jump down a few more verses, David has been anointed king over the tribe of Judah. At this time in Israel's history, the history of the Jewish people, there were 12 tribes, but they were really kind of scattered. They weren't united yet under one Group. They didn't have a single identity. So just right now, one tribe has anointed King uh, David, King of, of them. And he's gone to a place called Hebron. Now look at me with 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4. The men of Judah, that's the tribe of Judah, came to Hebron, the city where David was living. And there they anointed King uh, David King over the house of Judah. Now let me pause for a second. Uh, earlier he had been told about some, uh, a certain group of people who, when Saul died, they had went and they, they took his body. The Philistines, an evil pagan people that's described in Scripture a lot, when they found Saul's dead body, they mutilated it, they did some terrible things to the body, and these particular men took the body and respectfully buried it. So look with me, uh, continued verse 5, 2 Samuel chapter 2. He sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, that's the men who respectfully buried King Saul's body, and say to them, the Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord, if you're someone who underlines in your Bible, underline this. May the Lord who sh- now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because 
you have done this. I too will show you favor because you have shown respect for the man who tried to kill me. Now look at uh, chapter 3, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. So David has been anointed king by one tribe, but the rest of the Jewish people, they considered their king to be one of the the sons of King Saul. And chapter 3 tells us that a man named Abner, who was one of the generals under King Saul, he continued, continued to fight this civil war against David. But Abner finally comes to his senses, and he defects. He goes, and he joins David's camp. But David has a general named Joab who he couldn't get over the issues, the, the, the hurt feelings over the civil war. So when this general, Abner, who had been fighting against David, comes to join David, Joab actually murders him. And then King David finds out about it. Look at me with 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 31. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was the ancient custom of, of wearing clothing to show people that you were in mourning. Kind of like really only a few years back, people used to wear all black to show that they were in mourning. Uh, and um, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk around in mourning in front of Abner, in front of his body. Verse 32, they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king, that is David, wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. Verse 33, the king sang this lament. He's written another song of mourning for the death of someone who was his enemy. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before wicked men, and all the people wept over him again. Then they came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. So David had been fasting as a sign of mourning for the death of Abner, his former enemy. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. One more scripture about David. Now, before David had become a king over all of Israel, Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth. See, if you don't know how to pronounce the name in the Bible, just pronounce it like you know what you're talking about and keep on going. Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, had been anointed king over Israel. So, really, Ishbosheth is the rival king to David, the enemy of David. Now, he had two servants who murdered him because they saw that David was gaining ground. David was winning the battle. So, these two servants of the son of Saul murder him and then take his decapitated head to David as a trophy and say, look, David, we're on your side now. Look at me with uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 7. They had gone into the house that these two servants of the son of Saul gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head. But verse 8 says, They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David and Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul. Underline this next part. Your enemy who tried to take your 
life. This is the day, notice this language, this is the day the Lord has avenged. Well, it wasn't actually the day the Lord had avenged. It was actually just them doing the avenging. God didn't have any part of it. Verse 12, look at me, look with uh, me at verse 12. So David gave an order to his men and they killed them. He ordered that these two murderers be executed. They cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. Okay, and, and that part, I admit, uh, that's disgusting. And I don't really know why David felt the need to do that. Uh, but these men lived 3,000 years ago, so we'll, uh, we'll give them a break, I guess. But are you catching a theme in everything that's happening here? So David finds out that Saul has died, the man who has been trying to kill him for a decade. And he mourns and writes a song of lament. Then he finds out a general from a rival enemy army who had been fighting him for quite a while dies. And he mourns and fasts and commands people to join him in mourning and fasting, putting on sackcloth and and writing a song of lament and teaching it to, to the people. And then his enemy king, the rival king, Ishbosheth, he hears is murdered in a very gruesome and heinous way. And he has the murderers executed. He has the murderers executed, those who murdered what should have been his enemy. Now, remember, we're in this whole series, every single week, we're looking at what does it mean when God said, David was a man after my own heart. David a man after my own heart. And remember, every week we are having to study. we got to delve in and look at what does that mean because God nowhere says this is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. So we have to try to figure out and study David's life and find out what aspects of his character could be things that, that adequately fit as a description of someone after God's own heart. So what does it mean this week to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. It means we forgive our enemies, and we don't rejoice in our enemies' suffering. Did you write that down? Being a man or a woman after God's own heart means we forgive our enemies, and we don't rejoice in our enemies' suffering. In other words, To be a man or a woman after God's own heart, not rejoicing in enemies' suffering and willing to forgive our enemies, that's to just simply be what we are commanded to be as Christians in the New Testament. So turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. So the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, or the words hopefully will be on the screen if we can get it all working Chapter two, or, uh, verse 21 and 22, Peter, one of the apostles, comes up to Jesus and says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And, and then the apostle Paul, writing to the church in the city of Corinth, writes this famous these famous lines that are often written or spoken at weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And, and then in Matthew 6, verse 12, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what we today would call the Lord's Prayer, he uses this very scary line in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he makes this frightening link between the words that somehow the, the type or the extent to which we forgive others is somehow linked to the type or the extent of forgiveness God gives us. And, and we think, well, surely that, that's not what God meant. I mean, how, how, how could that be? God is forgiving. God is a forgiving person. Uh, but then we jump down and we find out, uh-oh, no, that's exactly what Jesus meant. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But verse 15, but if you do not forgive men or women their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh-oh. So Jesus has just said, I, God the Father, will forgive you in the same way that you forgive others. Which means if you do not forgive others, I, God the Father, will not forgive you. Well, that's, that's scary. And then in verse 27, he says, love your enemies, or this is Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then in Luke 6, verse 32, if you love those who love you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And then verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. You see, ultimately, as Christians, the New Testament makes very clear, we as Christians forgive because we have been forgiven. Forgiven. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. We forgive again and again and again and again, because God has continually forgiven us, even after we have become Christians, forgiven us of our sin again and again and again. See, Colossians, don't turn there, just listen. Colossians, or look on the screen, chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that is the Christian people, us as saints, those who have been forgiven by Christ and, and accept Christ as their God, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, says verse 13, and underline this if, if you do have it in your Bible, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect 
unity. And then the Apostle Paul, just one verse out of the book of Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, you can't truly understand the concept of Christian forgiveness until you understand the gospel. The message of the gospel is that while we were enemies of God, Christ forgave us. How, how just like the, the, the people who followed Saul committed an act of civil war, fighting and rebelling against David, refusing to accept David as their rightful king. When we were not Christians, before we were saved, that is exactly what we were doing. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? You see, as Christians, we should be the quickest to forgive because we have experienced forgiveness. We, would be, we should be the ones most willing to forgive over and over because we have been forgiven over and over. And we're commanded to do it in Scripture, so that ought to be enough. But we should want to do it because we should want to forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, let me, let me just pause and say, I don't understand. I cannot understand how someone who has experienced forgiveness of sins, sins which should have condemned them to an eternal hell and separation from God, how they can experience forgiveness from those sins and yet not forgive someone else their sins. God has forgiven me of that which is so terrible, I deserved eternal condemnation, but I can't forgive this person. I don't understand how that can be possible unless that person doesn't truly understand the gospel, doesn't truly understand how much God has forgiven them. Maybe, maybe somewhere they think they have this hierarchy of sins where they think their sins that God forgave really weren't that bad, but they don't truly understand that, that sin against an infinitely perfect God, no matter how good or bad in human terms, is still evil and wicked. Now, I, I got to pause because I, I understand. I'm a realist. I get how broken our world is. I know some of you here today have experienced pain that probably I can never, ever imagine. So, I, I paused, and I, as I was preparing this, I thought of a few things that I want to make very clear. Forgiveness is is not making excuses for another person, saying that their behavior wasn't really that bad. That is not forgiveness. 
when Jesus forgave us, he didn't say, oh, your sins really weren't that bad. No, no, no. The Bible makes very clear our, how bad our sin was, but he chose to forgive us. Forgiveness is not even necessarily trying to make the relationship just like it was before the offense. Sometimes that's not possible. And forgiveness may still include healthy boundaries. See, as we've been studying David, as he's fled and escaped from King Saul on a couple of different occasions, King Saul temporarily came to his senses and asked for David's forgiveness. And David clearly gave it. But then he didn't go back into the king's court. He kept it literally, in David's case, a geographical boundary. He kept a safe distance from Saul because he had, he had spent enough time running from Saul. He'd spent enough time seeing Saul relapse into the same sins of pursuing him and trying to kill him. He understood it might happen again. So each time Saul asked for forgiveness, David didn't say, okay, I'll come join you again. No, he stayed out in the wilderness away from Saul. He kept boundaries in place. And let me make this one very clear. Forgiveness may actually include physically leaving someone who is causing physical harm to you or to your children. So you may actually need to leave. You need, may need to get away from that person, just like David got away from Saul. But that doesn't mean that you can't forgive. You can, you can forgive someone from a physically or an emotionally safe distance. So I want to make that clear. So sometimes pastors, they've abused talk about forgiveness, and they basically have, have given especially battered women this idea that they've got to stay in this relationship that's damaging them. That is not what I am saying. I'm saying you can forgive and you can still put up boundaries if need be to protect yourself or your family or children from harm. But here's what we're going to do today, because I know that in a group this size, there's lack of forgiveness. I, I know there are people that we struggle to forgive. I know most of us have someone in mind that, wow, it's really, really hard to forgive. And the person who just came to your mind is probably someone you're struggling to forgive. So hopefully you all were given a sheet of paper today in your bulletin. Now, if you didn't receive that, uh, raise your hand and we'll make sure to get some to you. And this is, this is not optional, by the way, okay? So if you are physically able, you're going to participate in this. You, you're going to come to the front, and you're going to drop one of these cards in a basket up front, okay? This isn't optional. Got it? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to write down the name of someone that we are struggling to forgive. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's more than someone. It might be several people. It might be an ex-husband or an ex-wife. It might be someone who's hurt you. It might be someone who has abused you physically, emotionally. Maybe they molested you. Maybe they raped you, and you can't, you can't forgive them. Which, by the way, I don't know who said it, but someone said, failing to forgive another person is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. See, your lack of forgiveness doesn't normally do anything to the person who's hurt you. They may not even know, but it's hurting 
you. So I want you to write down the name or names of someone you are struggling to forgive. Maybe it was a boss who fired you without cause, someone who made fun of you, whatever. So write, write your name. We're going to listen to a song at, at the end of, of this message talking about forgiveness. Pay attention to the words. It's a, a contemporary Christian song. You may, you may not care for the style. I don't care about that. I want you to hear the words as you're writing, and you're not going to have a lot of time. The song's not that long. So as the song is playing, you'll see the words on the screen. I want you to quickly put the card up front, walk to the front, and put that name or the card name facing down because I don't know, you might have someone you're struggling to forgive and they're your spouse walking up next to you. So we're going to keep it anonymous. But I want you to then pray that God will give you the strength to forgive that person. Now here's a couple other suggestions of what you might write on the card. Maybe you'd also like to include a prayer of thanksgiving for how God has forgiven you. What has God forgiven you from? What sins, what terrible things did you commit against God, rebelling against God that he forgave you for? Maybe you should take just a a few seconds to write down that, praising God, thanking God for the forgiveness he offered you, and allow that to be a subtle reminder to you that just as God forgave you for that sin, those sins, you should forgive others. And here's another suggestion of something maybe you should write on that card. Because I also know in a group this size, some of you aren't Christians. Some of you think you're Christians, but you're not. But I'll say over and over and over, your church attendance doesn't prove anything about your faith. But if you are not a Christian, if you're someone who's never experienced the love and the forgiveness of of Christ, if you don't know what it's like to have Christ be the king of your life, if you're still having a civil war against God, just like ancient Israel, these people fighting against David, refusing to allow David to be their king, maybe that's what your life is like. You have continually refused to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. So I want you to write down a prayer on your card asking God to forgive you of your sins, saying that you believe He is the rightful Lord of your life, and then confessing to Him and and committing to Him that you will live a life that reflects that. Live a life saying, Jesus, I will now let you be Lord of my life. And I want you to put that in as well. But if you wrote that as part of your prayer, I I want you to let me know. Either contact me when I'm back. uh, Send me an email. Call me. Contact. uh, Talk with Pastor Michael or Hutch uh, today. Let someone know if you today have made Jesus the king of your life. So after after this message is over, you'll just have a, a few minutes time to write down who you are struggling to forgive. Ask God to give you the power to forgive them and to begin living differently, living as someone who lives a a reconciled life with the people around you. And then praise God for how he has forgiven you. And if you're not a Christian, today ask God to forgive you of your sins. And then we'll we'll watch this video as you come to the front. Thanks, church. I love you. I'll see you again in person, live. 
next Sunday or before that Wednesday night, uh, join us for our Wednesday night prayer time starting at 6.30. Thanks, church. Love you.